Welcome to the Girl Means Business Podcast. I'm Kendra Swalls, a former teacher turned entrepreneur and mom of two. As women, we are so much more than just one thing. We're wives, moms, entrepreneurs, side hustlers, and dreamers with goals and ambition. On this podcast, we'll talk about everything from juggling family, work, and fun to making your dreams a reality through simple, effective marketing strategies, all designed specifically for the busy mom who doesn't have a lot of extra time. So whether you're just getting started or already have an established business, there's something here for you. If you're ready to take on the challenge of becoming your own boss and making your dreams a reality, then let's get started because this girl means business. Hey friend, and welcome to episode 199 of the Girl Means Business podcast. This week we're talking all about how to create an audience that is so excited to buy what you have to offer, to work with you, to talk about you, to share your business with their family and friends. That's what we all dream of. That is like the golden ticket for every single business. But actually getting there can be so frustrating because we all know in our own business that we have this incredible thing, something that sets us apart from everybody else, whether it is the the offer, the product, the service, or you as the person behind that offer, product, or service. But getting other people to feel that same way is where it becomes a little bit difficult. However, today's guest is here to help us with that. Jenny Melrose is so much fun. I'm so excited for y'all to meet her. She's a former reading specialist who retired from her teaching career, which sounds pretty familiar, when her blogging income far exceeded her salary. Through hard work and dedication, her lifestyle blog, The Melrose Family, became regularly sought out and by nationally recognized brands such as Neutrogena, Glad, Costco, Stanley Steamer, Sara Lee, so many more. She is a content strategist that helps entrepreneurs to better understand their messaging and unique position in the online space, which is so important these days because everything seems to feel like it is done online. Even if you're doing in-person marketing or in-person networking, a lot of it comes back to they might meet you in person, but they're going to want to get to know, like, and trust you through online marketing, which is where she's going to come in. So now she combines her passion for teaching with her extensive experience of of creating strategic content for online business owners um, on her website, JennyMurrows.com, and her podcast, Influencer Entrepreneurs, and her first book, Influencer Entrepreneur, which is super exciting and goes into the four-step framework for building an audience, growing your business, and making more money online. And today she is sharing a ton of great tips with us. She was so much fun to chat with, and this is our first guest episode of the new year. So I'm so excited to welcome her to the Girl Means Business podcast and for you to hear all about her journey and how she can help us grow an audience that absolutely raves about our business. So let's jump in. Hey, Jenny, welcome to the Girl Means Business podcast. I am so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation, Kendra. Yeah. Well, I have so many questions for you, but let's start with, tell us a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do. Yes. So my name is Jenny Melrose. I am actually a former inner city school district teacher that also had a lifestyle blog at the time when I first was teaching. And that lifestyle blog replaced my teaching income so that I was able to retire at the age of 35 and actually be home more with my two babies. Um, And I started then being asked to speak around the country 
at blogging conferences asking how did I was was I able to retire? How was I able to replace my income? And I primarily did it through sponsorships, which at the time there wasn't a lot of information out there. So as I spoke around the country, I realized that when I would come home, my inbox would be flooded with more questions. And I said, okay, let's turn back into the teacher and me. And I created my first course, Pitch Perfect Pro, which is my signature course. It's what I'm best known for. And my coaching business just kind of grew up from there. Um, I still had my lifestyle site, The Melrose Family, for two more years after that and then sold that in 2019 for six figures and primarily have focused on the coaching side of my business where I'm really looking to help women-owned businesses be able to grow online to be able to make substantial income for their families. That's amazing. So our stories are very very similar. Um, I know in your bio, you said that you were a reading specialist. So I was a math specialist. <laughs> that's what oh. I did prior to, I, you know, I taught for like 13, 14 years, but that's what I was doing when I left. And I had started my photography business, left to run that full time around the same. I think I was 34, 35 um, and grew that to where I could then, I still do that on the side, more of a hobby now, but then the coaching and the education, I think once a teacher, always a teacher. And that, that kind of baseline of like, I'm here to help and provide value never goes away no matter what. Um, and so I love whenever teachers are able to kind of take those skills and put them to work somewhere else with the flexibility. So kind of along those, and I know we'll get to your topic in a second, but I want to talk for a second about the idea of leaving a teaching group because I feel like that's a very um, common thing. So I'm, I live in a small town. I'm friends with a lot of my kids' teachers and teachers in the school. I work on the PTO board, all the things. And I hear a lot of times teachers are just so burned out and exhausted mm-hmm. and tired. And so what was it like for you stepping away from that Did you have like any kind of, I know I had like some guilt around it, some kind of identity crisis of sorts. How was it for you leaving that behind to go do this other thing? Yes, it was a huge, not only decision for my family and my, and obviously myself, but it was also, um, we uprooted. We lived in New York at the time where it was crazy expensive and I had a good teacher salary of 75,000 at that time. Um, but when I left, we moved down to North Carolina. So it was, we uprooted my entire family and I, it was, I grew up in a family of teachers. My sister is a teacher. My sister-in-law is a teacher. Um, just surrounded by teachers. So when I left, it was a huge deal. Everyone thought I was insane. Um, I also had hid the fact that I had a lifestyle blog and I was making money from it while I was a teacher because I didn't want them thinking that I was um, doing social media. I didn't want anyone in the district following and seeing what I was up to and judging or anything like that. So it was very quiet. So when I left, people were shocked that I was leaving. Like you didn't leave teaching, especially in New York. Like you retire with six-figure salaries. Um, Now in North Carolina, I have lots of teacher friends as well. My husband is actually an inner city We'd like the inner city um, PE teacher and down here in North Carolina. And they, what they have had to deal with is just insane. Um, And it is, you get easily burnt out. And I think when it comes to it, 
you can make a plan. I've had a lot of friends that were teachers reach out to me and say, okay, how do I do this? It seemed like you didn't do anything. And that's so not true. There was a lot that was going on behind the scenes where I had babies at the time when I started my blog. My oldest was six months old when I started my blog in 2009. Um, And because of that, I was doing everything for my blog at wee hours of the night. I'd be up nursing when I had my second one, and I'd be on my phone doing social media. I was constantly doing things behind the scenes that no one really saw. So a lot of times I'll still hear, oh, you're a blogger. That's so cute. How do you make money doing that? Oh, I want to do that. I'm going to go do that. There's more that goes into it, obviously. There's also a ton of educational information out there now that didn't exist back then. I mean, podcasts weren't even a thing then. So, and Google now, you can Google anything you want, (laughs) like minute little details. That just didn't exist. I think if that is where you're at, where you're frustrated as a teacher, and I, I understand it and feel for you, I think, but you have to make a plan. I wouldn't ever tell someone, just make a leap. And I think our story was, I said to my husband, this is too much for me. They're changing everything. I was also not only the reading specialist, I was the math specialist too. My first year of teaching, I had a roster of 235 kids. And that was first through fifth grade. And I was also responsible for all testing. Um, And it I was the only one and I always walked in feeling like I was a failure because I couldn't service my kids. I would have a classroom of 27 fifth graders, 19 of them qualified for my services in reading. I had a teeny tiny room. You couldn't take out 19 kids. I had to take over classrooms for teachers, teachers that have been teaching for years and I was a new teacher and I had to walk in and say, guess what? I need to teach your class because I need to do interventions for all of your kids. It was very much yeah. walking on eggshells and figuring out how are we going to make this all work. But I think when it comes down to it and you are frustrated, you are ready to leave, have a game plan. What do you need to do in order to just have all your ducks in the row? Like that was a big thing for us. My husband sat down and we said, okay, in six months, you've got six months to figure this out. If you can make it work, you can make this much amount of money to replace your teaching salary then fine. We'll resign. We'll move. We'll do the things. Um, and I was able to do it, but I had, it wasn't overnight success. That's just not yeah. a real thing. No, no. And that's the, I mean, that's true with anything. Like it's never this, there's no quick fixes. Like if someone is thinking, and this is where I get really frustrated and I don't want to go down like this rabbit hole, but I get really frustrated sometimes with some of these sort of like multi-level marketing network marketing companies which I've been a part of in the past because when I was teaching, I was like just anything to get me out the door. But they boast these ideas of like, oh, it's super easy. Work from your phone anywhere for two hours a day and make six figures. And that's just not the reality of building a business. And you have to make a decision between, am I going to build a business or am I going to create a fun hobby that's on the side? And I know a lot of people, teachers, other, you know, nurses, everybody, people that have full-time jobs. And they're like, I'm perfectly fine doing this thing on the side and just having it be a fun, creative outlet that makes a little extra money for vacations or Christmas or whatever. And that's totally fine too. But it is, like you said, it's a decision you have to make And once you make the decision, you either have to go all in or be fine with the fact that you're still going to be working your nine to five and doing this other thing too. Yes. And I think 
part of that too, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry, Kendra. I think part of that too is uh, one of the misconceptions is that if you are still working a nine to five, you're not all in. And that's not necessarily true. Your mentality has to be all in. You have to treat it like a business. You have to understand what the problem is that you're solving for your audience and how you're actually going to attract your people. Whereas if you're doing it as a hobby, you don't care about any of that crap. You're just doing it for fun. And that's there's nothing wrong with that. But when you start treating like a business and talking about it like a business, there's a difference where you're not just sitting around and can't do, you know, something that your mother-in-law needs you to go pick up. It's your, you know, you're doing your work. You're doing your working on your business. Um, And I think there's a definite, you have to be able to define that. Stay with us. We'll be right back. If you've been listening to the Girl Means Business podcast for any amount of time, then you know my love of email marketing runs deep. Not only is it a great way to generate new leads, but it's one of the most effective methods for nurturing warm leads and turning them into sales. Now, over the years, I've tested several email platforms, and my favorite by far is Flowdesk. Not only do they make email marketing simple and easy, even for the technically challenged, but they have everything you need to create stunning emails, capture leads, make sales, and automate the entire process, giving you time back in your busy day. And the cherry on top is you're only charged one flat fee no matter how many subscribers you have. So while other platforms will increase your price when you go over your pricing tier limit, Flowdesk has no price increases or hidden fees. If you're ready to give Flowdesk a try, click the link below in the show notes to save 50% off your first year. Let Flowdesk help you design emails people will love. Click the link below and check it out. I have a feeling you're going to love it just as much as I do. Yeah. I completely agree. And so I think one of the things that I know you wanted that you talk about and that we were going to kind of focus on today was how to build and grow a business with intention. And I think that all kind of ties back into what we've been saying of like, you can't just wake up one day and go, I'm going to start a business. And I see this happen so many times. I called it the, if I post it, they will come like mentality. That's the idea. And and to be fair, like I, I had the same mentality when I first started because I didn't know any better. And that's why I'm like, I want to help you know better. Like if you're listening to this and this is your, your thought process, I want to help you know better is that you can't just create a Facebook page or an Instagram account, post something a couple times a month or a couple times a week and call that your business strategy. It doesn't work that way. There's so much more that goes into it. And you are going to become frustrated if all you're doing is posting, look at this thing I have to offer, and then it's crickets. And so I want to ask you, like, when it comes to when you were creating your blog, obviously in order to make it successful, to get these companies wanting to do brand deals with you, you had to create an audience. And this is where I think a lot of business owners lose are missing a piece is they're not thinking about building an audience. They're thinking about how can I just sell, 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 sell. So I want to ask you like, what are your thoughts on how, or how do you start off from the baseline up building an audience for something? And especially like you said, you weren't going around to your other teacher friends going, Hey, come follow me and and share my stuff. It was kind of something you were doing completely separate from your your day job. So that in itself is a really great testimony to the fact that you can do this even if you don't have 
a built-in audience around you from whether it's other business owners you know or family or friends or whatever? This is honestly one of my favorite things to talk about because it's the biggest mistake that I see people make. I see bloggers for years creating a business and they could even be making money from it, but they always have to go back and fill in the foundation because they didn't start from the beginning. And I think I talk a lot about this in my book, Influencer Entrepreneurs, because I have a pack framework. It's a four-part framework for being able to build your audience, grow your business, and actually make money online. And that PAC framework is P-A-C-K. The P stands for positioning. Positioning is the most important thing that you can figure out for yourself. What problem do you solve for your audience? Or if you don't have an audience yet, what problem is it that you want to solve, that you have either solved for yourself or you have solved for someone else? It can be a friend. It can be a family member. And for a lot of people, that's the first mistake that they make. They'll just, especially bloggers, the food bloggers in particular are the ones that do this the most often. They'll just start creating recipes. Whatever they're making for dinner, that's what gets thrown up. And what happens is you have spaghetti thrown against the walls, not literally, but it seems like it. (laughs) It could be. (laughs) It could be, exactly. No, but they don't know what they're trying to stand into, what problem they're actually solving for that audience. So for example, if you were a food blogger, you have to get specific on the type of recipes that you create. Are they, is it comfort food? Is it just desserts? Is it five ingredient healthy meals? Is it keto? Is it whole foods? Whatever you have to pick, uh, we call it a niche or a niche, some people will say, to step into and call it out as yours. Because you people have to know what they are coming to you for. And if you want to get picked up beyond your inner circles of people on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, wherever, you have to be able to let Google understand who you are. Google is still the ruling giant and probably will be, I hope and pray for many years to come because bloggers understand how to use Google to their benefit. And it's really helping Google understand what are you an expert in. When you're an expert in something, not only does it, it, when you, when someone puts in a problem then or a question about that, you're going to be one of your first couple searches that Google is going to show to your audience. And that's how you grow new people organically and how you have people that have never heard of you start to come to you because they want to know how to make your chicken Parmesan or they want to know how to feed goats, whatever it is that you're talking about, that problem that you solve and you giggle. But that is honestly, I have two clients that are actually homesteaders that talk about like feeding goats and mating goats and all these things. They have a huge business just based on that. And it's such a small niche. They're each other's competitors, but they're both very successful. It doesn't matter because it's finding that right audience for them. So really understanding that positioning. Yeah. I want to interject for just a second because I think, and this could be again, a whole episode in itself, but I think finding your like niche, niche, whatever, however you want to call it is so important. And it's something that a lot of people put off doing because they are terrified of it. Mm -hmm. And I encourage people, I say, look around at where you are spending your money. A perfect example is, you know, I love shopping at like Target. It's kind of the, you know, you can find almost anything at Target from like clothes and jewelry and makeup to like a car battery if you really want to, I think. But 
Like you can kind of find everything. And the problem with that is though, if I'm looking for something in particular, like there's a little shop in town that just opened where I live that sells these incredible, like um, all natural hand soaps and and detergents and things like that. I'm not going to go to Target and expect to find this really niche thing. I'm going to go to this soap place, this like small business place. And so um, when you're narrowing down what your area of expertise is going to be, don't let it scare you that you're going to be eliminating people. You're actually going to find that the opposite happens. You're going to actually start attracting more people because they know exactly what they're going to get from you as opposed to like, well, I'm going to walk into this restaurant and one day they're going to sell me spaghetti and the next day they're selling me like Greek food. I never know what I'm going to get when I, when I walk in. But if I'm going to the Italian restaurant, I know exactly what I'm getting. And that's what you want your business to do. Yes. It's the whole idea of finding that blue ocean, right? There's a red ocean. There's a blue ocean. It's what we'll talk a lot about in sales. The idea is the red ocean is very saturated. It's where all the sharks are eating all of the fish, hence red. Blue is where there's not as many. You have really defined yourself and they are going to be able to find you much easier in the blue ocean. So being able to sit there and know that you don't have to attract every single person. You actually want to repel some people. I'm not for everyone. I am from New York. I speak fast. I am a teacher. I am no BS because I'm also from New York and a teacher and I give homework. So I'm not everybody's cup of tea and I'm fine with that and I know that. But there is someone out there that I am meant for. A lot of times you will attract who you are. A, A large majority of my audience are teachers because they like the fact that I speak like a teacher and give strategies and give homework. It doesn't mean everyone in my audience is teachers, but a lot of them are. You attract what you are and you can't be afraid to kind of step into that. Yeah, I agree. All right. So you were going through like the pack. So you said P was positioning. What's What are the other three? Yes. The next piece is the A for authenticity. Being able to know who you are and what, again, attracting the right people that are going to be meant that you can solve their problem. And I think when you're authentic to who you are, rather than worrying about, oh, I got to put this up on social media, it needs to look absolutely perfect, which we all get lost in, of course, because it's very easy to go onto Instagram and think that everyone lives in a white house with white furniture and their kids don't touch anything, which is obviously not true. So (laughs) being authentic to who you are, because again, people are going to be attracted to the real you. I want the person that's going to show me the messy house, but can show me how to decorate a bookcase and still make it look pretty for when I do video or when I do photography, whatever it might be. Um, So really being authentic to who you are. And then that next piece is the C, which is confidence, which is often hard for people, right? Because there are so many things out there that they can find potentially to help them solve their problem. Not being afraid to step into it and to know that when it comes to sales, it's a numbers game. You have to just continually talk about it. I have so many clients that will tell me, oh, my audience didn't want this. It just didn't do well. It didn't sell. Well, tell me about how many times did you talk about it on social media once? How many emails did you send? I didn't send an email to my list. That's not 
sufficient. You have to be able to confidently be getting back in front of your people. And I think one of the biggest areas I see people making this mistake is an email. They're afraid to email their list. We pay hundreds of dollars to have all these people in our email and we're afraid to actually email them. When in reality, when you're emailing them, you're giving them valuable content. That's how you continue to nurture them so that when you do have a solution that is paid, they're willing to actually take that action and purchase it. So Having the confidence and knowing that if you don't put out the problem that you have, the people that need that solution aren't going to have it. So you're being selfish if you don't put it out there. Yeah. And I think this is another like kind of like you said, defining who your content is for, knowing specifically what your area of expertise is. And then the next thing I would say is like a major, yes, you need to do this from the beginning is what you just said is like, don't be afraid to put yourself out there. I see this happen so many times. Like you were saying, like people think that they are putting themselves out there and they're like, well, I don't want to annoy my audience. I don't want to be pushy or salesy. But the thing is like, how many times have you followed somebody on Facebook forever? And then all of a sudden you see a post, you're like, oh my gosh, you've been doing this for two years and I had no clue you were doing this. Right. I mean, I have a story I've told on this. I'll be really brief because I told it multiple times, but when I was teaching and doing photography on the side, I did high school seniors. That was kind of my main niche for a while. And I had another teacher friend that hired another photographer, was not happy with the results, was talking about in the teacher's lounge one day. And I was like, oh, I wish you had let me know. I'd be happy to do pictures for your daughter. She had no clue that I did photography. And I was like year four in my business and literally worked like three doors down from her for the last two or three years, worked with her kids, was in and out of her classroom all the time. And that was the light bulb moment for me that I was like, if the people that I literally see every single day don't know what I do, there's no way the stranger down the road or across the country on the internet has any clue what I do. So we are the ones who feel like we're being annoying. Our audience does not see it as annoying. And if they do, they're not our audience. They can go find somebody else. Absolutely. That could not have been said better. Yeah. So I, I'm a big, like, that's one of my like soapbox things where I'm like, when you think you're, you've posted too many times or you think you've talked about it too much, do it one or two more times, because I promise you it's not nearly as much as what you think it is. Yes. And there's numbers that actually go behind that. You People have to see things seven to eight times before they will take any action. That's not action to buy. That's action to go to your sales page and read and see what it is that you're offering. Then it's they need to hear it a bunch more times just to then hit the purchase button. So yeah. getting it in front of them constantly, especially with the way that we are bombarded now with TikTok and Instagram Reels and all of the stuff, there's a lot going on. They need to hear it multiple times. Yeah. All right. And the last one yours is the K. Yes. And the K, originally it was just PAC because the K stands for kindness. And I knew that there was a piece missing from it when I was writing the book. And the reason was is because I am very well known for telling people to know your hate rate. And everybody looks at me and goes, what do you mean hate rate? What is that? I'm like, well, it's the rate at which you'll hate yourself if you take less than what you deserve, less than what you are going to be able to, the amount of time that you are going to put into it. And it's something that you not only end up hating yourself for it, but you end up hating whatever it is that you're doing, whether you're making soap, whether you are shooting a wedding, whatever it is that you're doing, you have to under be able to balance it out that rate with the amount of time that you're going to put into it and what it takes away from. 
Because if you're a wedding photographer, you're giving up all your weekends, right? You're not going to have all that time with your family, which you're never going to be able to get back. So you have to be able to determine if you love doing that and that's what you want to do, what is it worth to you? What's the value that you're going to be asking for when you come up with your rate or your packages or whatever it might be? And I think that kindness piece is something that a lot of women miss. We are our biggest hurdles. We are our biggest judges. We are very, we speak to ourselves the way that no one else will ever speak to us. And I think we have to remember to force ourselves to think kindly and to remind ourselves that this is a journey. I cannot compare myself to someone else's middle or end or to their, it's in general, because oftentimes if you're on TikTok, you're probably comparing your entrepreneurial journey to a 20-year-old. And what a 20-year-old does and what a 40-year-old has in their lives can often be very different. Um, If you're a single mom or you're working full-time still, you have to take all those into consideration. So being kind to yourself and always knowing that no matter what, imposter syndrome is going to sneak in there. You are going to doubt yourself. That is just part of owning your own business because there are going to be some really big highs and there are going to be some really low lows. But as long as you are tied into the mission of what you do and why you do it, you'll be able to continue to moving forward. And that's why positioning is so important because you have to really truly believe in the problem that you solve for your audience. Yeah, I agree. And the imposter syndrome part, I mean... It's interesting. So I listen to a lot of podcasts, but one in particular where they interview actually like big name kind of celebrities. Um, They interview like a bunch of experts in different industries and fields. And I always think it's so interesting to see just how much like these people that we think have it all figured out and the ones that were like, oh no, they're so successful. And how could they ever doubt their abilities or their position and they all do it. They're all like, Oh man, I never, like, I, I didn't understand why I got that job or why I, you know, we all feel that way. So you are not alone in thinking that like that imposter syndrome piece or the asking yourself, like, why me kind of thing? Like, why would someone choose me? Because everybody feels that way. Yes. So yeah, that's, that's one that a lot of people struggle with. I still struggle with from time to time. And it's not something that I think, like all of these things that you talk about, um, they're not like a one and done fix. Like they're not something that like you just kind of check a box and go, oh, okay, well, you know, I have my authenticity done, check. Like it has, it's an ongoing, ever evolving thing. And so it's not something that you can be like, okay, I did that, put it on the shelf. Now let's move on to the next thing. They all have to be constantly kind of ever changing and growing and working and and you have to be continually getting better and better at it. Yes. No, it's a hundred percent. Yeah. Well, this has been so amazing. I really love this idea of the pack framework, the four-part framework. Um, if people want to learn more about it, I know you have some resources, obviously your book. I want you to talk about that for a second. So share with us how people can get in touch with you, learn more about you, um, find your book and all the things you have to offer. Yes. So if you have any questions from the episode, it's honestly the easiest is to hit me up on Instagram at Jenny underscore Mowers. Just send me a DM, ask a question, whatever it might be that you have. Um, and then the book can actually be found at JennyMowers.com forward slash book. There's actually a free 
workbook that goes along with it because, of course, the teacher in me has to give you activities inside the book. There's an exercise for everything that I talk about. So really being able to put it into practice. And like you said, it's an ongoing kind of as you grow, it's something that you can easily go back to. Um, I've had a lot of people say to me that since the book has come out in 2020 and we're almost into 2023, that they've read it more than once because it applies differently, especially post-pandemic um, and just where they are in their business. So being able to go back through it is definitely helpful, especially with that workbook for sure. Yeah. I love books that have like actionable things. Those are my favorite. And like, I will listen to audiobooks when it comes to kind of my like four fun books, but I love getting a book where I can highlight and I buy those little like post-it tabs that I can mark and like put tabs in. Like all these books, those of you watching the video can see this, but I have a whole bookshelf behind me. And I guarantee you almost all of those books have about 5 million sticky note tabs because that's, that's my favorite thing to do. And so having a workbook to kind of work through, I think is an incredible idea. So I appreciate you doing that. And I think, yeah, that's amazing. So everybody go check it out. I will link to everything down in the show notes. And Jenny, thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate this has been incredible. Yes. No, of course. Thank you so much for having me. A huge thank you again to Jenny for taking time out of her busy schedule to come and share all of this value with you as our audience. I said this in one of my earlier episodes from this year, but my true intention for this year is to really find guests for this show that are going to provide value that you can walk away with, that you can leave every single episode feeling like you have something you can put into practice or that you feel more confident about something or that you feel like you're walking away with something you can implement in your business in whether it's a mindset shift, a actual tactical strategy, or in this case, a framework. And this episode, this interview completely had all of those things, which is why I was so excited to bring her onto the show to kick off 2023 with our guest episodes. I do have everything linked down in the show notes so you can go and follow her find out more about what she's doing and make sure you check out her book and go and grab that today. All right, guys, I hope you have a wonderful week and I will see you back here next week. Same time, same place.